All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What a wonderful Wednesday afternoon. How are you? Welcome to the Jason Greger Show on Sports 1440 Live Oilers Nation YouTube where uh, Oiler fans... I'm guessing fairly excited about uh, what 2024 could offer for you. Uh, the Gregor Show is always presented by PlayAlberta.ca, where, of course, you can get your uh, tickets to uh, Lotto 649 tonight. Hey, feeling lucky? The uh, Oilers, winners of six in a row. Uh, you could win $22 million. PlayAlberta.ca, get uh, your tickets there. Somebody won a million a lady from Yellowhead County uh, won a million dollars over the uh, holidays at PlayAlberta.ca. So, not a bad, uh, not a bad haul, I will say at all. Um, we have uh, lots to discuss on the uh, program today. Uh, we will, of course, uh, talk about the Edmonton Orders, and uh, hey, why not? Orders, uh, order fans should be fired up. Uh, we'll talk a little uh, World Juniors. Uh, your Remchuk will be by, uh, Thomas Hall will, uh, join us, talk a little, uh, Jays, uh, Rupper will be by, we got the, uh, ski report for you, it's getting cold, hopefully that means we get some snow, uh, Speck will be by, we have, uh, Kurt Hill, uh, joining us on the, uh, on the program today, the GM of the Oil Kings, uh, he was wheeling and dealing over the, uh, the holiday season, lots of trades recently for the, uh, Oil Kings, so, we'll uh, we'll get to that. Also, though, today we're gonna have lots of, uh, interaction time, you can text us 833-401-1440 in the EWL text line, 803-401-1440, 833-401, not 803, 833-401-1440 is the, uh, the number to text because I have the question for you today. Um, I wrote the article at uh, OrdersNation.com. It came up uh, just before we came on the show here today. And uh, last night, Connor McDavid 
has another five-point game. Uh, back-to-back five-point games for the Edmonton Oilers. Right? And everyone's like, oh, McDavid had five points in 16 minutes. Well, how many minutes do you think Fogle played? When he, and it's no offense, it's Warren Fogle. And he had a five-point game where he wasn't uh, playing a whole bunch. Right? Definitely not on the power play. At least the first unit, I should say. So, uh, you know, back-to-back five-point nights. It's fun for Oiler fans. But McDavid, that's his 10th five-point game of his career. That is the most amongst active players. Jenny Malkin is next with eight. And then Dreisaitl, Crosby, and Nathan McKinnon each have six in their careers. And as you look at McDavid, and, you know, we've talked about this before, but I want to kind of look at it more. Like five-point nights, you're like, okay, uh, that's 10 in his career. Well, where would that rank him all time? Well, He's currently tied for 17th most in NHL history. He's tied with Joe Sackick and Bobby Orr. Now, Bobby Orr played a few more games than McDavid. Uh, Sackick uh, has played 776 more games, and they're tied five points. He's never catching Gretzky. Gretzky had 96 five-point games, including 79 for the Edmonton owners. Marilyn Mew had 51. And third place, Connor, do you have any guess on who is third place all-time in NHL history for most five-point games? Yarmir Yager. Uh, Yarmir Yager didn't even have 10 (laughs) in his career. Phil Esposito. Phil Esposito, I think, probably gets overlooked a lot. If you look in the record books for great offensive players, Phil Esposito... Well, you know, think about it. He had the 76 goals. He had 152 points. He was like the first true, real dominant offensive player. I know Maurice Richard had 50 and 50. But you go back and look at Phil Esposito's numbers, man. Like, they were lights out. Lights out. And uh, and Phil has 19 five-point uh, five games. Then Yari Curry has 16 alongside uh, Steve Eiserman and uh, Marcel Dion, uh, Mike Bossy. Brian Trache, Dale Howarchuk have 15. Gilles Perrault, Paul Coffey had 14. Pat Lafontaine, Peter Stashney, and Ron Francis had 12. Uh, Bobby Hall and Guy Lafleur had 11. That's who uh, McDavid is chasing. I think McDavid has a realistic chance to uh, be third all-time with five-point games, which is fun. Now, if you look at four-point games, uh, McDavid is currently 24th. He has 35 in his career. He's three behind Sidney Crosby. And Gordie Howe. Now, he ranks 37th in three-point games. He has 111 of those. He's tied with Bobby Orr and Gino Malkin right now. Uh, in case you're wondering, uh, Wayne Gretzky had uh, 459 three-point games. Mary Lemieux had uh, 272. Marcel Dion had 202. Those are the uh, the top three in uh, in three-point games. And then uh, two-point games. Now, did you know 55% of McDavid's games have been at least two-point games since the start of the uh, 2021 season? So his last 251 games, McDavid has had two points or more in 139 of them. (laughs) It's pretty good. So if you look at the pace he's on, and that was over the last, what, three and a half years. 250 games. So let's just assume for the next three and a half years, he, he maintains the same pace. That would give him another um, 139. And he's already at 275. Now he's up over 400. 
And I, I think uh, realistically, he has a very good chance. And Connor, your Jagger question, guess was actually pretty good if you go to two-point games because Yarmer Jagger is second all-time in two-point games. And he has 540 two-point games, followed by Messier and Marcel Dion uh, Gretzky has 824. <laughs> Like, man, like when you start to look at all the stats, it's a good reminder sometimes. And the reason I bring up Gretzky and, and McDavid is because I think if if you're of the generation who watched Gretzky in his prime, I've heard from lots of sports fans who say, you know what? If I had one thing I would do different, I would appreciate his greatness more while I was watching it. Because for whatever reason in sports, there's a lot of people who want to try to find a but or to, to greatness. And you're hearing it already with McDavid. Oh, yeah, but he hasn't won, right? Like that. It's the lamest counter to McDavid's regular season point totals. You want to know why it's the lamest? Because guess what? You can't win the Stanley Cup in the regular season. It's impossible. What you do in the regular season really doesn't matter once the playoffs start. It's a whole new season. And when you win the Cup, teams win the Cup. Firm believer in that. Right. I, and I know the one thing people, I keep hearing it, it, get, it gets thrown out every now and then. Oh, it's Steve Eiserman. You know, like Steve Eiserman, all of a sudden he realized that he was going to be a better defensive player. Do you know what year Steve Eiserman won his first Stanley Cup? His 15th season in the NHL. He didn't suddenly decide to stop scoring points. He couldn't score at that rate anymore. Go back and look at guys in the 80s outside of Gretzky or the 90s. Right? Look at everybody else. Guys would have six good years of 100-plus points, and then they would slow down because they didn't have the nutrition. They didn't have the education on rehab. They didn't have the education on rest and recovery and all that stuff that they do now. Right, But that's just a fact. You would have six, seven years of like Gila Fleur, Steve Eiserman, Marcel Dion. Go look. I'm not making it up. The numbers are right there for you. Right? Like you'd have those peak years of, and guess what? Then you started to slow down, which is what happened to Steve Eiserman. Now, it's a great story about how, oh, he became such a better two way player. No, he adapted, but he was never going to score at the rate that he was when he was scoring 155 and 126 and 128 points. It wasn't going to happen. But he also, everybody always forgets that in 1997, when Detroit won their first Stanley Cup, they had seven future Hall of Famers on the team. In 98, they had six. In 2002, they had eight. Hmm. Yeah, it was just this defensive specialist, Steve Eisenman, that led him. Yeah, it had nothing to do with Nick Lidstrom, one of the greatest, the greatest defensemen of his era, right? Or Brendan Shanahan or Sergei Fedorov, who won a Selkie and was so damn good that he could play defense, for goodness sakes. To the point that NHL defense were like, well, this is unfair. This guy just decides to play defense in the show, and he's that good? Teams win cups. I'm a firm believer in it. But anyway, so, and by the way, go look at Alex Ovechkin. The year they won the cup in 2018, Ovi had 49 goals, 87 points. He had more points that year than his previous seven seasons. But you'll still hear people say, well, Ovi became more dedicated defensively. What? Was he not dedicated beforehand or were they just not that good of a team? Three years, they lost in the playoffs one year. He averaged two points a game, kind of like McDavid a few years ago. Does that mean McDavid was bad or the rest of the team wasn't championship caliber? Does it happen? Yeah, I think it does.
So, Connor McDavid, if you want to say in playoffs, when you're talking playoffs and McDavid doesn't win, and you say, hey, that's something on his resume that he would like, of course he would, 100%. But he's still got another decade to win cups. Just because Crosby and Patrick Kane won it early in their career doesn't mean everybody does, right? It's not the case. How many years for Hedman? How many years for Stamkos? How many years for Iserman? How many years for Ovechkin? Right? How many years for Lindros? Well, none. So, well, many. He just never won. Right? It's my point. What about Ray Bork, one of the greatest defensemen ever? When did he win? Did it, did it make his first 15 years in the league not mean anything because he didn't win a cup? I think don't throw that argument because to me it's lame. What Connor McDavid is doing right now in the regular season is unlike anything fans of this generation have ever seen. I mentioned Sidney Crosby. Like, Sidney Crosby's a really, really, really good player. He's a great player. He's amongst the elite of the elite. But Sidney Crosby wasn't close to 602 games to get 900 points. Right? Not close. Just, just how it is. Right? Alex Ovechkin, the greatest goal scorer of his generation and arguably the greatest goal scorer of all time. He didn't do it. Connor McDavid to have 900 points in 602 games. Like it's a fast fifth fastest of all time. And when you go to a thousand, I think he'll pass Peter Stashney and he has a chance. Cause if you look at McDavid's points per game pace that he's been on the last few years, if he maintains that he could catch Mike Bossy because Mike Bossy scored his 1000 point in his 656 game. McDavid right now is on pace for 658 games. Now that's if he maintains the pace of the last few years, right? 1.73 points. But the good news, Connor McDavid's had a season of 1.87 and 1.88, which he did in 2023 and 2021. McDavid this year had a very slow start to the season, but he's averaging 2.1 points per game in his last 19 games. He has 40 points in his last 19 games. Connor McDavid in his final 47 points. Now, to average two points a game, God, I'd love to see it. It'd be amazing. Hard to do. But even if he's at 1.8, then uh, you're going to see him at 1,000 quicker than everybody except Lemieux and Gretzky, which is pretty damn impressive. Something that I'm not sure people thought was possible. Even three years ago, I didn't think people thought McDavid could get 150 points. I know I didn't. I thought like 130 based on how the league was going, that that was going to be a really big number. And now he's essentially had two years where he scored 150. Because in the in the uh, COVID-shortened 21 season, he was on pace for 153 points, is which what he got last year. And McDavid now, he, he's got a carrot in front of him. Nathan McKinnon, Nikita Kucherov. And Nathan McKinnon, by the way, probably should get more props because he actually outscored Connor McDavid in the calendar year of 2023. It's kind of crazy considering how good of a first four months of the 2023 season McDavid had in the regular season. So I just, to me, as I watch McDavid, I'm always trying to remind myself not to take it for granted. Because like last night, man, he was dominant in that game last night. 
the goal, electrifying, like this pass on the Hyman goal. You kidding me? Little touch pass to Nugent Hopkins. You know, the uh, him and Dry Settle, they see each other, got great vision, right? On the six on the extra attacker on from the delayed penalty goal. And then a nice little dish, probably the easiest of his assists, um, or maybe the blandest of his assists, which is still pretty good. A little saucer pass to Nugent Hopkins. But when you look at Connor McDavid and where he's at, you're, you're witnessing greatness. And, and I think it's important to, to, to recognize, like, you look at McDavid right now, he's 122nd all time in points already. 122nd all time. Like, there's lots of really good players who have played in the game. And he's going to blow by them by the end of this season or early next year. And then he'll be in the top 100. From player 101, which is Paul Correa, to Scott Stevens at 121st in points. By the way, Scott Stevens, underrated offensive player. The only one of those players who averaged a point a game, Bobby Orr, 1.39, and Paul Correa at exactly one point a game. He had 998. 989 points in 989 games. McDavid's at 1.5. He's going to blow by them. He's going to go into the top 100. And then it's just going to be an ascension. Like, I, I really think there's a there's a very strong chance Connor McDavid will finish with over 2,000 points and be the second highest scoring player in NHL history. I, I Honestly, like I crunched the numbers. So McDavid, let's say he finishes this year just at a normal pace of like 100 or, or one point. Six five points per game, which for him actually over the last four years is actually low. So I tried to, to counter lower. That means that then he would have a decade to play because he's, he's turning 27 in 10 days. He would have a decade to keep playing because there's no doubt in my mind. And actually 12 years to get to 39. Today's athlete, look at LeBron James, Tom Brady, Sidney Crosby. Look at them all. Guys are playing into the late 30s, early 40s now and, and without a significant fall off for the elite players. Because that's their elite. That would give him 984 more games. Now, let's factor in injuries. He's only missed 11 games his last seven seasons. So he's a pretty healthy player. But I'll even say he's going to get 50 games injured. So now he's down to 934 games. So in those 934 games, and by the way, his career average right now is 1.5 points per game. Let's say in those games, he's down to 1.2. Well, that's an additional 1,120 points on top of where he finishes this year. So that puts him over 2,000. If he's 1.3 points per game, it's an additional 1,214 points. So if we consider for the next five years, McDavid's probably going to be around 1.75 points per game. That means then in the, in the last five or six, he could be down at 1.1, one point a game. And he still averages out to be 1.25, 1.3. Like I'm telling you, 2,000 points, the only thing that stops him from 2,000 points is a serious rash of injuries. That's the only thing. Because he's that good. He's that dominant. And it's something that... Um, that last night's one of those reminders of, oh, this McDavid kid's still pretty good. It's very good. Hey, Gregor, you can make an arrangement that uh, Crosby doesn't get enough props. I think Sidney Crosby gets a lot. For sure, a lot of people have Crosby now, you know, as a top 10 player of all time. And some have a debate to put him in the top five. Right? I think it's uh, I think it's valid. Like Sid the Kid, but the, even Sidney Crosby, as good as Sidney is, he's not as electrifying as, as, as uh, McDavid is. He's just not. He doesn't skate like McDavid. He's a very, very, very good player, don't get me wrong. But he's not as electrifying as McDavid. He's not as quick as McDavid.
right? Like you look at how many 50 goal seasons has he had? How many? Uh, he's never had 150 points, never had 130 points, right? He had 120 once, which is very good. Don't get me wrong. And I like Sidney Crosby. I think Sidney Crosby's great. And he's probably without debate a top 10 player of all time. But I still put McDavid on a different level, which is crazy. Because I think he's that good. And it's uh, last night's just one of those reminders. I'm like, hmm, McDavid's all right. And to me, what's exciting about this season is, you know, he's chasing guys. Nathan McKinnon's had a hell of a year. Like a hell of a year. Right now, if, if the vote was today, which it's not, because you don't get you don't win an award based on half a year. But today it would be Nathan McKinnon for the heart. No question. But where is it going to be in another 47 games? Because you vote as the season goes, not who had a good start or somebody who has a good last 20 games. So it's going to be fun. Uh, we'll talk a lot more about that. We'll get your text, 833-401-1440. Your thoughts on McDavid. Is 2,000 points realistic to you? Do you find yourself still in awe of McDavid? Or at times you're kind of like, meh, nah, I try not to get amazed by it. Like, Why? Like, I was listening to, to uh, the head coach, Nob. He's like, yeah, I try not to be amazed. Well, why? Why do we try not to be amazed? What's wrong with being amazed by something? Right? It's like an interesting thing in, in human psychology is that we, we'd love to complain about things. God, we'll compl- the orders lose three games. Our text line goes bananas. The orders win six in a row. Well, yeah, but they haven't won a cup. What? <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? So they're playing pretty well. Uh, so Rupper, Speck, Hill, Hall, Uremchuk, Ellis, and many of you on The Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Just after uh, 2.25 on The Gregor Show and Sports 1440 live on Oilers Nation YouTube. How are you? Oilers fans should be excited. Now you have a few days off. Uh, the Oilers in the month of January get used to days off because they don't play till Saturday. They have every Sunday and Monday off this month. And uh, starting Saturday, they play Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And uh, they finish the uh, month of January on the 27th. Then they have uh, all-star break and bi-week combination. And then they're back in action in February 6th. And that's when they have a real hectic schedule. They will play 37 games in their final 72 days of the season beginning on February 6th. So enjoy the downtime. Because uh, Oiter fans, you'll have lots of games starting in February. But the thing is, the Oiters, by the time they get to the end of the month, like, could they go 8-2 and two in their next 10 games? 100%. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Look at who they're playing. Look at all the rest they're getting. Look at the way they're playing. Every facet of their game is, is humming right now. Also, the Oiters make it official. Uh, Dylan Holloway has been reassigned to uh, Bakersfield. Uh, he's been activated from LTR, so he's going to play this weekend. Uh, look for him to get in some games, play some big minutes down there, and then uh, be recalled. I don't, I don't think it's somewhere where you know he'll only play one or two games, maybe, but I think they'll want to get him down there, get some confidence for you know, let him play, and then uh, you'll see him back up here in Edmonton. I know Chris Knobloch views him as somebody who can be a significant contributor uh, to their team, somebody who could uh, who should be able to help out in their top nine. So. There you go. That is uh, the uh, the update on Dylan Holloway and the Edmonton Owners uh, day off today for the uh, Edmonton Owners. Now, let's get to our big guest of the day, brought to you by Sinai Sports and Entertainment. Uh, innovative uh, market leader across Western Canada. They own the uh, 
Seattle Thunderbird, uh, Spruce Grove Saints, the uh, Hockey Super League, also now the uh, the brand new Silent Ice uh, facility just in Nisku, which is an amazing facility uh, to be housing uh, lots of different teams. And man, there's lots of rumors out there. I should say right now, um, just to quash any of the rumors, because I know people have talked about, oh, you know, oh, this team's going to move there. They thought the Saints were moving there. The Spruce Grove Saints are not moving there. They're playing in Spruce Grove with the brand new arena that's being built there. Right, uh, they have a new. Uh, uh, they've actually. Um, they, it's a combination where the Saints have chipped in some money because they're going to build their own uh, dressing room in that facility. It's going to be great for this, to the community of Spruce Grove to get uh, some new uh, ice services. But uh, that's Silent Ice uh, Sports and Entertainment. I know Beaumont Minor Hockey gets a lot of ice time there, uh, and they have other leagues that play there. But uh, as of right now, today, uh, no, the Saints will not be moving there. That I can tell you, guaranteed. And if any AJHL team was ever to move there both the Crusaders and the Saints would have to sign off on it because of territorial rights. So keep that in mind. Anywho, uh, let's talk a little uh, NHL. Uh, also some World Juniors with uh, Stephen Ellis from uh, DailyFaceOff.com. Uh, Stephen, welcome back to the show, man. How you doing? I'm good. How you doing? I'm excellent. Um, uh, the World Juniors, uh, disappointing for Canada, but hey, disappointing for Slovakia, disappointing for Switzerland. Man, that might have been the greatest quarterfinal round that I can remember. Yeah, that's fair enough. You know, other than, you know, USA kind of just walking over Latvia like everyone expected, you know, yeah. seeing the Slovaks, how good of a team they were this year, and the Swiss just brutal start, and they kind of figured it out near the end. Uh, yeah, I, I I can't disagree there. It was three pretty solid games and one that uh, was over pretty much the moment it started. Yeah. Well, the other three games were all super close. You know, I, I know that the Swiss didn't love the penalties they got uh, late in the game. And then, hey, but they took another one in overtime, which you just can't do eventually, you know, especially on four on when it's three on three. And then you go four on four. It obviously cost them. But you look ahead now. Who do you like in the semis? Uh, you know, you can't go wrong with the the Americans. I think they're kind of my my pick to win this this tournament, uh, they were at the start, uh, just a team that's just downright dangerous to play against. Uh, great goaltending that uh, it's been kind of hit or miss, honestly, on who you're going to be getting. Uh, it, it, like in terms, they've been rotating the two goalies, and Jacob Fowler hasn't been as good as he probably should have been, but Trey Augustine's been great, so that that's good enough. Uh, beyond that, I'm going Sweden over Czechia. I just think the the Swedes have shown a bit of cracks in their armor in the last few games. They haven't really been as dominant as as maybe they were against Canada. The Czechs are a good team, but I do not trust the Czech goaltending, and I think I do trust what Sweden's got in there. So if I'm picking final, I'm going Sweden USA. Kind of the, my one of my pre. My my original prediction before I went bold and decided that Canada and that backfired. <laughs> well, no, that's all right. Um, ha, has there been play? Now, I'm not a big fan of. I don't like to take six or seven World Junior games and suddenly have a player. You know, just it elevates their game so much because it's such a small sample size. But is there any players, Steve, that maybe have opened your eyes to say, "Wow, like this guy's a little bit better than I thought." I'm not suddenly going to make him go from 15 to to top five or anything like that. But who who, who have you liked as far as you know? draft eligible players from this tournament oh i'm going you know what i think for me michael uh michael uh Brandzeg Nigard, who i had him in my top 15 i think he's a lot closer to 10 now there, there weren't a lot of draft prospects that played in this um tournament to begin with uh and the guy that hurt his stock the most was adam yurchak who played 
two periods. He got hurt in the second uh, period in the first game against Slovakia. They came back out and he re-injured his leg and he's out for the whole season. So that's a guy who's hurt his own rankings. Uh, but someone who's really helped his own rankings has been Egard, who I think it was so good for Norway. He showed that he's a lot more than just a, you know, a, a good two-way player. He was hitting harder than anybody, shooting harder than anybody, working harder than anyone. So he's the guy that I, I definitely um, am pretty impressed with. Uh, in terms of guys who might put themselves on the, the map, uh, Yuri um, Lasella on Finland is a guy that every time he plays for the Finns is one of the top players uh, internationally, but he's been passed over a couple times. He's been so important for the Finns. He scored the goal that helped them go to the uh, semifinal. I don't think he gets passed over this time. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, that's a hey, drafting to me. I'm a big fan of it. We see it more and more in the draft. There's lots of, uh, quote, overage players uh, to me just because you have a better you have a better viewpoint. I, I, I still I'll say it every year. The NHL would be way better off if they move the draft stage back one full calendar year. You can leave it open for those rare 18 year olds to be top five picks. But the truth of the matter is um, most don't play in the NHL anyway at 18. So you're not hurting anything. You know, all you're doing is you're giving yourself more looks. You're a guy who watches these guys. I'm sure you've been fooled by many players. You're, oh, man, I thought this guy's going to be really good. And that's where they peak. Some peak at 17, right? Like it is, it is far from a perfect process. And, and gaining one more year, all it does would give you better views and it would increase your odds of making better draft picks. And that's especially true for things like goaltenders and in general, just since, you know, the COVID years where a lot of those guys missed so much time. And we're like, we, Shane Wright is a good example of a guy that was so highly touted. And I think a lot of people didn't really appreciate how good of a player he was. And then he, he got drafted. He didn't go first overall and he didn't have a great first year after that. And uh, he's a guy that I think really lost out on having a proper draft year or proper um, development experience. But you look at goalies, a lot of these guys aren't, getting a lot of starts in, in major junior it's not uncommon for a guy that's challenging for a world junior spot on one of these top teams to have only played like half the season because they're splitting time so um i i definitely think that there's a there's a benefit in that there's a reason that teams are really starting to put a lot more pressure in or uh, focus on drafting overage guys but uh it's uh it, it's it's become more valuable and teams can't ignore that route yeah no uh no question uh Stephen ellis joins us uh, Steven, you know, you, you look at, you know, the goaltending one is, is very difficult. Uh, that position is one. You, just considering that a lot of times, you know, they, they don't get as many reps as skaters and defensemen, right? They don't play every game. So it's, you know, it would be easy math to tell me why they're going to take a little bit longer to develop. And we still see lots of NHL goalies at 24 and 25 kind of find their stride just because of a game's played, et cetera. But when you watch this tournament, it's not only the draft eligible players, but there's lots of players that are already drafted in that tournament and, you know, around playing in junior. And cause I know you watch a ton of other junior teams of guys who have already been drafted that you're like, you know what? I think this guy's really taken a step since being drafted. Uh, are there any, are there any names out there that you think, you know, fans should be aware of and, you know, next year or the following year that you think is, is somebody who's already drafted that's going to be an impact player who's not currently in the NHL? I'm going with Adam Bayon, and you might remember him as the Slovak goalie from last year, and this year he proved that was not a fluke. I think there was a lot of questions. He was drafted early um, by the Blackhawks in the second round, but it was a guy that really used a week and a half of good hockey with the Slovak junior team and turned that into a high draft pick when no one else even had him on their draft radar beforehand. So he's someone where he's six foot four. He moves very well. 
very athletic and sees the ice as well as anybody. Like he reads it well. I see a ton of his videos, a bunch of that stuff's online where you can see the way he tracks pucks. And I can't remember a goalie at his age that does it that effectively. So for someone who was playing in Slovakia two years ago, just sending like demo tapes out to random, you know, tier two junior leagues just to get looked at to maybe a starting goalie in the NHL for the Blackhawks and Connor Bedard in a couple of years from now, that's a guy everyone's got to be looking at right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, around the NHL, because uh, not only are you watching prospects, obviously you're watching lots of guys uh, in the league. And you know, where are you at on Connor Bedard? Because um, I'm one sometimes like people throw out generational talent all the time, and I'm a little ske- not skeptical of it, but I think it it's almost gets overused now. It's oh, Celebrini's one. I'm like, whoa, you can't have every year a generational player, otherwise they're not generational players, right? Like now. Crosby and Ovechkin both came up at the same time. So, yes, it can happen. Gretzky and Lemieux, uh, they're about five yard, years apart. They did it. But, you know, it's pretty rare. Where, where do you – like, are you locked in that you think Bedard is going to be a guy who we talk about as, a, you know, 120, 130-point type of player? No question about it. He's on pace for, what, 75 points this year on a team where he's playing with, like, Nick Foligno and Philip Kurashev. Like, imagine what would happen if he was playing with Patrick Kane a couple of years ago. Imagine what he could be doing with Celebrini or Iserman next year if one of those guys ended up going to Chicago. Like, he's going to have a lot of good pieces around him. He's going to be surrounded by them. So, for him to put up potentially, you know, 30 goals, 75 points in a rookie on a terrible team, like, he's like minus 20. And plus, minus is not a great stat, but that's a very, very, very not great number. Yeah. And it's because he's playing in all situations for this team because there's no one else there. And he's the only reason that I, in a lot of cases, this group's winning games. It's like, it's actually kind of hard to watch this team because when Bedard's not on the ice, they're, they're difficult to watch. They're not a good team. And for him to do all that right now, and still put up one of the best rookie seasons we've seen since the Crosby, since the, the Ovechkin days, like that's impressive. So I'm a hundred percent on Bedard's going to be one of the best players in the world. He's the closest player we're going to get to mirroring Connor McDavid. Interesting. Yeah. Like I, I see him as a different player. Like he's a better shooter for sure. Um, oh yeah. You know, to be as dynamic. Physical player too. Yeah. Physical guy too. He throws a lot of hits. To be as dynamic as McDavid is going to be tough because we've just never seen anybody skate that fast with the puck yeah. in NHL history. Yeah. The, the, McDavid's a unique figure that we will not see a guy like that. But if anyone's going to come close in pure skill, pure talent, I, I'm going Bedard. Like like Bedard's the best guy at coming close to McDavid. I don't think he's going to be better than McDavid. I, I do think that McDavid's everything we saw at the same age was still just on an other world. But Bedard's been pretty damn close. And we're also seeing a lot of guys who are just this skill level of players at this time of age. You look at the videos of all the skills they're doing, all the moves they're doing. It's a lot more impressive uh, from a prospect standpoint in 2023, 2024 than it was even in 2015. So the average prospect's going to be more skilled, but Bedard is just, you know, Again, he, he's at the top of the class right now. Yeah, uh, no question about it. Uh, Stephen Ellis joins us. Steve, when you, it's, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but when you look at Canada and the selection of their world junior team, was there a few offensive guys that maybe were you surprised they didn't bring? Uh, it's always a good question after the fact, but I, I wonder if, if there were some offensive guys at Canada, because I know I've seen some names out there. Do you think, is that a fair assessment or is that just nitpicking after the fact? I, there was a lot of questions heading in, and when I saw the roster, there weren't a lot of guys because uh, I was at that training camp. There weren't a lot of guys that I thought, you know, probably should have been on the team that weren't. Um, I know a lot of people are saying Jagger Furcus, you know, just a pure talented guy, 
can put up 40 goals, no problem about it. Um, but he had a terrible training camp. And uh, when I remember sitting with some scouts when they announced that he didn't make the team, and they're like, yep, no, nope, that makes sense, despite being one of the best players in the WHL. The guy that was at camp that I was surprised didn't make it was Denver Barkey. And he was a guy that Hockey Canada pointed out as someone they loved how hard he worked. You know, he played one of the best games we had seen of anybody in camp hours after finding out his grandpa had passed away. So it was like, that's not an easy thing. He still went out there and played a great game. He was cut. And then the guy who kind of took his role was Easton Cowan, who was probably the least effective player on that roster. The one that didn't get invited to camp at all that was surprising was Riley Height, who at the time was the top scorer in the CHL. I don't know why you wouldn't want a guy like that. And I think when you look at the team, you know, defense wasn't necessarily a problem. Goaltending wasn't a problem. It was, if you watched any of those games, you saw that team could not shoot. They would pass to each other and just not shoot or pass and they'd die dead. You've got a guy like Carson Raykoff, who's a 40 goal scorer, sorry, 60 goal scorer on pace for this year. And he had, he had like six or seven shots the entire tournament. Yeah, he didn't play a lot, but he wasn't shooting when he was on those opportunities. So uh, just a team that, a lot of what's ifs, but at the same time, if you look at everybody, if Canada could have put all the guys that were in the NHL that were eligible for this tournament on this team, no one's touching Canada. That's just the reality. Yeah. Um, but that's not how that worked. So uh, it sucks. It stings, but Canada's going to be good next year. Yeah. Oh no, Canada. I always chuckle when people want to say, Oh, there's a problem with Canadian hockey. And I'm like, why? So, like arguably eight of their best uh, world junior players weren't in the tournament. Right. So I, and I'm not saying that Canada can ever improve on things for sure. They can, but I, I think it's a little misleading to look at the world juniors. Like it represents a, an actual analysis of where the program is at. It's, it's, up to seven games. In Canada's case, it was five whole games of an entire year. Canada came, got bronze of the, uh, at the U18s, they just won the World Junior A Challenge. They just won the under 17 World Challenge. Like they're winning at all these levels. They're doing well at all these events. Sometimes it just doesn't work out where all your best players are playing in the NHL. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Steve, quickly uh, for you, are you, um, where are you at on the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs? Um, good team. Hey, they went and they shut out LA last night and they've really like, I think it's like 21, 25, 27 shots as of late. Like if I look at their blue line one to six, I'm like, mm, I don't think it's that good. But their team defense is maybe under the radar improved. Yeah, like the one guy who's playing really well right now is Simon Benoit, a guy they signed for league minimum. Now, he's a guy that you could replace every year. It's not a big loss if he's gone, but he's contributing well above his salary right now. And I thought William Lagason looked pretty good. So I think they're they're doing a lot better than that. Um, one of the things that's killing them, like, yeah, yeah, it's hard to go out there and score five or six goals and lose, right? Mm-hmm. And the goaltending has been a huge topic. Um, it's there's a reason why they. It doesn't matter who's in it; it's, it seems to fall apart. But then, you know, Martin Jones is having this career revival, kind of like he did in a brief little time in L.A. and uh, for a beer, uh, parts of last year in Seattle. It's you know, it, it, you're flying for what works, but yeah, you got to have your best guys being like your best guys. And if you're you're scoring five goals and you're losing because your goalies are allowing every single shot that seems to go near them, especially against Columbus for whatever reason, uh, you can't do much about that. So I think they're a better team than recent results would show. But, you know, I think they need everyone healthy and then they could really show what they could do. I think Joseph Wool is, is the real number one for this team, and I think he's capable. I'm not saying he's a long-term number one, but if he's healthy, he's ready to go and, and the Leafs are at full strength. Like we saw what they were able to do at points this year where they can get pretty hot. Steve, great stuff, man. I really appreciate your time. Have an awesome day. 
Yes, you too. Stephen Ellis from uh, DailyFaceoff.com. That guy watches a lot of like junior hockey and studies tons of young players. So if you're always interested, if you're a draft junkie, I recommend reading uh, Stephen's stuff because he goes really, really in depth and all the play, not just like the top thirty. Because no, no offense to get the top thirty, now not necessarily in a certain order. That's that's not overly difficult. It's when you start going deeper into it, it takes way more hours to kind of find those players that they say, hey, I like this guy here. I can see why teams don't take him. And keep in mind that when you're drafting a player at 17 or 18, it's a lot of projection for sure. And whether you like it or not, size will still project out more because they're like, well, hey, if all things are even and I think player A, who is six foot one and 200 pounds, is equally as skilled as player B, who's five foot seven and 170 pounds. You're going to go with player A if they're if you view them as equally skilled. Now, if player B is way more skilled, well, that's totally different. But it is uh, it's far from an exact science, and uh, I still think the NHL would be such an easy fix. You do it over two years, and you would move the draft. Uh, back uh, one season. You can still leave it open uh, so you don't have to worry about lawsuits. If anybody trying to file a lawsuit that you're living in the opportunity to earn a living at 18, blah, blah, blah. Because all you have to do is show the history of how many players as 18-year-olds. Because keep in mind, when Taylor Hall came into the NHL, he wasn't 18, right? He turned, he was, it was his 19 year because he was turning 19 in uh, in November, right? There's lots of guys, Leon Drysaddle, same thing. And I'm talking pure 18-year-olds, when they're drafted. Now, McDavid, obviously, Connor Bedard, there are some. So, hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You can leave those top five spots and say, hey, if they're drafted in the top five, then that's fine as an 18-year-old. Everybody else, it's their 19-year-old year. And I'm telling you, teams would have more success. There always are going to be some players that pan out better later on for sure. But you would have more success, especially in the top. Quick break. Uh, we'll come back. 
With Jason Greger Show, we got a lot of text flying in, 833-401-1440. We'll get to uh, all of those. Also, your Ram Chuck will join us as well. 249, Jason Greger, Connor Halley with you. Sports 1440, Oilers Nation YouTube. It's time for the Oil Report brought to you by Volvo Cars Edmonton. .com and uh, it's a new year but guess what uh, their service only gets better if you're looking for a ride now's the time they got uh, great deals stop in at uh, Volvo Cars Edmonton but it's not just about the the money you save which is obviously important it's about the long-term service that you will get that they provide that's top notch goes above and beyond and i tell you uh, their retention of their clients is very high once people buy a Volvo they like the service they like the car they stay there Volvo Cars Edmonton dot com as uh, we are joined from Owners Nation, uh, Tyler Uremchuk stops by. The uh, Edmonton Owners have won uh, six in a row for the second time this season. Uh, there's actually only been uh, eight winning streaks of six-plus games this year, and the Owners have two of them, the eight-gamer, which is season high, and the uh, six-gamer that they're currently riding. And if you look at their schedule, man, like easily Oilers going eight and two the rest of the month won't be a surprise to me. At all. Hey, have they can go seven and three, which is five years, seven and three in every 10 games. It's a really good stretch of 10 games. And they do that. And all of a sudden they're, they're 21 and six over a 27 game span. Yeah, it is very easy when you look ahead at who's coming up on the schedule here in the month to see how they could rattle things off. And I mean, not even just get back into a playoff spot, Griggs, which I know if you sort by points percentage, they are already, but maybe at the end of this month, and this is potentially too optimistic, but Maybe we're talking about them grabbing one of those divisional spots by the end of this month because Vegas is faltering. L.A. has kind of just been mediocre for the last month. Maybe there's a door opening here for the Oilers to get back into the mix for not just a wild card spot, but one of the top three places in the division. Oh, yeah, I don't think you can rule it out at all. Um, you know, they're 10 back at Vegas with three games in hand. Now, they still got, you know, you got to win your games. And, you know, but Vegas now the orders, what's going to be difficult for them is uh, once you get to February from February 6th to the end of the season, they play. 37 games in 72 days, which is more than one every, just above one every second day, right? So it's a condensed schedule for sure, but uh, they will definitely enter that pretty rested, right? When, when I And it's funny, most of the enemy owner players, they don't look that far ahead. I, when I was asking Zach Kyman if he'd ever played a Thursday, uh, a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday schedule for a whole month, he was kind of like, what are you talking about? And then I explained it to him, he's like, oh. And, it was, and they were kind of like, well, geez, we just had a break and now we're having another break and now we have more breaks. Like the players do like to get into a rhythm. It's you want some rest, but it's, the schedule is almost too much rest in January and then not enough the rest of the way. Yeah, I think one thing that could maybe be considered encouraging, I don't know the exact numbers, but their schedule down the stretch last year was pretty condensed as well, right? And they flew through that. They were the best team in the NHL from March 1st onward. So maybe this is a team that likes getting into a bit of a rhythm. The only thing that really concerns me about that is the goaltending because you need to keep Stuart Skinner rested to some extent and Calvin Pickard's been great 904 he's done exactly what you could ask of him since coming up from Bakersfield but I wonder if maybe this schedule in January where Skinner can stay rested you can play Pickard against some weak teams is does this have the potential I guess would be my question to lull them into a false sense of security with their goaltending and sit there in February and go Goaltending's not a problem. Look at how we, we've been rolling for the last six weeks when once the schedule picks up, it might expose some flaws between the pipes again. Well, the problem is, what's the solution? A trade is the only solution. No, I really. know, but but who's who's the solution? Like, who, who is a goalie that you're like, oh, yeah, we get this guy for sure he's consistent? Yeah, and I think that's maybe part of the problem. James Reimer would be the one answer to that if Detroit's goalies get healthy and all of a sudden they're willing to 
move on from Reimer outside of his season in San Jose. He's been nothing but consistent throughout his career. So Reimer's maybe the one option, but everyone else carries some risk. Vamelka would carry risk. Blackwood would carry some risk. So aside from Reimer, I don't see a great option on the trade market. No, no, not at all. That's the, uh, that's the challenge uh, for Edmonton. And no, cause there's lots of other teams like Edmonton. They might have to roll the dice. Like Vegas, I don't think anybody in Vegas thought, Hey, guess what? Lauren Bersois and Aiden Hill is going to be our championship uh, goaltenders. Right. They had Thompson. He got banged up. Uh, they really won the cup with the guy who had started the season as their number four goalie. So, you know, it, it's such a voodoo position. The way the orders are playing team defense, it will make it easier. I thought Stuart Skinner, though, last night, just like against L.A., Stuart Skinner was great against L.A. And I thought last night he made some key saves at key times. He didn't have to be the first star by any stretch, but he made some very noticeable saves. And I look at Skinner. Uh, in that month, though, of February to April, it's not so about Skinner to me. I'm not really worried about him. It's just they're, they're going to need a backup who plays 15 out of those 37 games just because you, you can't play Skinner that much more just based that they got a lot of back-to-backs anyway. But that to me is a, you know, Calvin Pickard or do we see Pickard, Campbell, Rodrigue, all of them at different times down the stretch? We might see that. Yeah, and again, that kind of goes to why I've been, I wrote about this on the site, but I think I would give Rodrigue, assuming the next two weeks go well in Bakersfield for him, I give him that game against Columbus at the end of January. I just look at it and go, if one of those guys is going to catch lightning in a bottle, why not take a stab on the young kid with all the upside and give him the look against Columbus if he passes that test? Great. You roll into February, find a couple spots in February to start him, and maybe he can be that guy for you. Like, it's not insane to think a goalie of his age can step into the NHL. There are guys in the league right now. Lucas Dostal was picked after him, and he's playing games for the Ducks. Sam Erson was picked after him in that draft class. Joel Hofer was picked after him in that draft class. There's a couple more names as well that I'm blanking on, but there's a lot of guys from that draft class picked after him playing a meaningful backup role in the NHL right now. I don't see why he couldn't do it. No, it's fair. They they can look at I, I think the one concern they have is roster management. To bring him up means you have to send Pickard down. And then you expose Pickard to waivers. And let's say and you know, there's lots of desperate teams for goaltenders who say, Hey, we'll take a chance on Pickard for two weeks or three weeks. And then Rodri comes up and he's not ready. Well then what do you do? Yeah, then you've kind of shot yourself yeah. in the foot. I like Toronto, I could see maybe claiming him just because who knows what's going on. And Pickard's thing, too, is that he's cheap, right? Like yeah. Comrie and Sam have cleared waivers, but those guys have some money and some term on their deals in the case of Comrie. So, or Samsonov has the money. I think Comrie has the term. So that would be the concern. You'd have to see how the next couple of weeks go. And I, I mean, hey, if Calvin Pickard's going to keep playing with a 905 or better save percentage, maybe there's no reason to bring up Rodrigue. Well, if Pickard keeps playing well, I, I think it, it allows them more time. Uh, to consider it, right? The trade deadline's on March 8th. And really, when you get into mid-February, you know, if Pickard has played well, you know, you, you can buy time to say, yeah, we can wait. Because, like, you look at last year, Matthias Ekholm wasn't on the market in December. It wasn't on the market in January. It really kind of came on the market a week before, and the GM found him. So, you know what, maybe there's a goalie out there to do it. But the, the goalie position's different because you just look, there's, you know, any team who's in the race isn't trading a goalie. Like, obviously, UC Soros, if you could somehow convince Nashville to trade him, well, then everybody would be looking to get him, right? I, I don't think Nashville, especially right now, because they're a playoff team, right? Um, you know, there's Veg Melka in Arizona, maybe, right? Would they be willing uh, to part with him? 
But if you're Arizona and you're finally in a playoff race, do you even want to risk doing that? Right? Like it's, so that's the hard part about the goalie position is you, you almost need to find, and, and it's been proven in lots of places is to kind of find that, that hidden gem that no one expects. And you might not even expect him to be that good, but then he comes here and he's really good. Yeah. I mean, Corpus Allo last year had some weight behind his name because he was having such a good year in Columbus, but he went into LA and gave them some, some quality starts down the stretch. What about, I mean, just Ekholm, the Ekholm thing and him coming out of nowhere last year always has me thinking to those bubble teams who could just fall out of the race a bit too much in the next little bit. And Minnesota is really struggling right now. They've lost three in a row. They're back below the Calgary Flames in the standings, tied with them on, tied with them on points percentage. And I get the fan base fired up with a little Marc-Andre Fleury talk, Gregs. <laughs> Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah. Pending UFA. If yeah. Minnie's out of it. And he's sitting there going, hey, look, I'm 39. I know I'm not coming back next year. Give me a chance to go on a run somewhere for two months. But but the thing is, if you're acquiring Fleury, are you acquiring him to be your starter in Edmonton? I don't think so. I think he might. But again, with all those games you play and what we saw last year in the playoffs, you need, you're, you're going to need two. Oh, yeah, two, you need so. two probably. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the risk with Fleury is even if Minnie retains half, like Edmonton doesn't have 1.75 mil, right? They'd have to they'd have to get Mini to take somebody in salary. Like, sure, you'd take Picker to whoever just to clear out the salary to to do it. But you know, where do they clear out that other million? That's the challenge for the orders because they have no cap space. Yeah, and I talked with uh, Frank Saravalli on my show today, and he still kind of said even if the Oilers don't think they need to add a goalie at some point, the biggest hurdle for them ahead of the deadline is getting out of Jack Campbell's money. That 3.85 million of a buried cap it. If you don't get rid of that, like. What are your other options? Because Cody CeCe's at the beginning of the year, you might have thought of Cody CeCe as a guy you could move out to clear money, but you can only do that if a D-man's coming in. So that doesn't really help. Warren Fogle's playing so good, he's outperforming his contract all of a sudden. So you probably don't want to trade Warren Fogle either. No, I don't don't think so. Tyler Ramchuk joins us. You know, the Jack Campbell one is, as I've said, trading Jack Campbell is is extremely difficult. Not impossible, but it's very, very hard because of how much money he's owed for three more seasons after this year. Like, obviously, the longer you wait till the deadline, it just lowers how much money he's owed overall. And it's really, to me, if I'm a, a the teams that are acquiring Jack Campbell, I really aren't caring about his cap hit. They're, they're owners, it's convincing their owner to pay the actual salary owed, right? That's going to be the challenge. And convincing your owner that's somehow taking $5 million for the next three seasons combined with the future assets is going to be worth it. But again, even when you talk about attaching a first round pick plus to Jack Campbell, what's that pick late twenties in all likelihood for the Oilers bottom seven, eight picks of the first round. Like it even just their first round pick doesn't hold a ton of value to these real rebuilding teams in that conversation. Cause the Oilers first rounder is right around where the, the sharks and whoever's second rounder is going to be. So it's a tough one. I, I don't know how you do it with the full 5 million bucks. It, it's going to be next to impossible. Yeah. Hundred percent. Um, Dylan Holloway sent down today. the uh, The Bakersfield Condors uh, play tonight. Then they play uh, on the weekend twice. Then they play the next weekend and the following Tuesday. I looked at the schedule. Um, even if he stayed up in Edmonton, the Orders play five games between now and the seventeenth of January. If he doesn't play tonight in Bakersfield, uh, then he'll play five games in Baco for the seventeenth. So it's really not much difference as far as actual games played because Orders have a really light schedule. The difference is the minutes he'll play in five games in Bakersfield compared to five games in Edmonton is likely could might be double, if not more. 
Yeah, I think that's why this is an absolute no-brainer from the organization. Like, your team's rolling right now. It's not like you're itching for secondary scoring or whatever. It's not like Dylan Holloway has 10 goals on, had 10 goals on the season when he went down and he was a huge part of the lineup. I think at some point, he should come up and get a meaningful chance to play with some skill. But for now, let him go get his reps. Let him go get his confidence. There's no sense in having him come and try to knock off the rust playing seven, eight, nine, ten minutes a night at the NHL level. Let him go do it playing 20 minutes a night down in Bakersfield. The one thing that'll be interesting to me, and I don't know if you have any insight on this, but what about the idea of trying him out as a centerman in Bakersfield? Ryan McLeod looks like he's a winger now. Your third line center spot, I don't think you can roll with Derek Ryan there for the rest of the year or Derek Ryan and Sam Gagne both being centers on the roster at the same time. But I'd be intrigued to see what Holloway looks like as a center. Yeah, you know, you could do it. I I, I do think when, when he comes up here, having, having talked to the head coach, now, if you're going to try him in Bakersfield at center, that's the only way I think you might try him, uh, you know, because I know I threw it out yesterday on the show, and then, I, you know, I was thinking about it, and I talked myself out of it afterwards uh, um, watching the game. I was like, Oof. you know, because uh, it's, it's a lot to ask a guy to play center when he hasn't played center in a while. So if you play him in Bakersfield for five or ten games – then I think it's more likely. If you don't and you play him at wing, then I think there's zero chance you'd throw him in at center in the NHL. You'd probably play Yanmark there ahead of him. And then, again, to go back to a deadline conversation, if you're going to... Ryan McLeod clearly looks better as a winger. 3C has to be number one on your list if goaltending isn't for something this team needs to upgrade ahead of the deadline. Because I don't think you can go down a playoff run with Yanmark and Hamblin as your three and four centers. No, no, no. And I'm still not sold that Ryan McLeod's a top six winger. I, I know that people are yep. loving it right now. I think if Ryan McLeod is your third line center, you got a really good third line. I think him gaining confidence and, you know, learning some things by playing with Leon Dreisaitl only benefit him and benefits the team. But I, I still say come playoff time, Evander Kane is in my top six. That's just me. I could be wrong, but uh, that's how I view it. And I don't necessarily view uh, Ryan McLeod as a lock as your, as a top six winger at this point. He might be. But then you're right. Uh, they, then they, they, I thought even with McLeod, they were still looking to add another center. So uh, now they would be looking to add one and just be a guy in your third hole instead of your fourth hole. Yeah, I think I agree with that too. This McLeod-Fogel little run in the top six has been unreal. I mean, it's fueled the first five games or four of the first five games of the winning streak. But when you get to the playoffs, you need Evander Kane to be one of your best players. And when he's at his best, he is one of their most impactful forwards. Having him on the third line doesn't make a ton of sense. But for now, I mean, he kind of has had a bit of a roller coaster season. So I don't disagree with keeping him on the third line. But at some point, you need to get him back humming with one of the big guns. Have yourself a great day, uh, Ty. We will chat with you next Wednesday. No, we chat tomorrow with the DFO Rundown. I always like getting that plug oh, in. That's true. It's very true. All right. Oh, yeah, we're doing it tomorrow. All right, I'm in. Okay, well, I will chat with you then. There you go. That's uh, Tyler Ramchuk from Motors Nation and the Daily Faceoff. Yeah, with uh, Frank Saravalli and I, the three of us, will be there tomorrow, but he'll be on 1440 next Wednesday. Coming up after uh, Connor Halley and a sports 1440 update, uh, we got lots of texts coming in on, uh, on the Oilers, uh, Dylan Holloway, uh, more on Connor McDavid. We talked about an hour number one. 
and uh, some really good text about McDavid. So we'll get to that and kind of what you're seeing, what you think you're going to see, and some of the records that he is going to be chasing here in the next few seasons. Also a little uh, MLB talk. Mike Rupp will be by and more. McGregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Here's a comment. Sports 1440 update brought to you by Legacy Heating and Cooling. Home with no payments. No interest for one year on your furnace. Stay warm all winter. LegacyHeating.ca. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 